Matthew 5, please. Verses. Verses. It was plural this time. Verses 13 through 16. I know you're excited. As we go through Matthew, if you're our guest with us for the first time, we are working our way through the book of Matthew. Um, we started right before Christmas, looking at the life and ministry, uh, the teachings of Jesus. Um, and we're doing this for, for lots of reasons. Let me just hit a few. Uh, one is because we presume to know a lot about Jesus and our culture. We presume to know that our understanding, the, whatever it is in this moment of time that we have, we presume to know it, got it, understand it, how to apply it. And um, that's just not often true, okay? So as we begin to kind of read slowly through the teachings and the life of Jesus, we're going to learn a lot about Jesus that we presume to, to know that was wrong. And we're maybe even uh, how we apply it. Um, it's just going to be, it's going to, it's going to change our, our perspective. I found that to be true in my own life. It, it will be true in us as a, as a church. We're doing this because this is the way the Bible was presented to us. Um, Matthew took time to uh, give his life to this, to this testimony. He intended it to be read as one uh, long experience and to be taught in, in, in the way that he's presented it. We're going to honor that. This is the way the Lord's presented it to us. And so uh, we have an opportunity to do that. We're not doing it all at once. We'd be here for many, many, many weeks without, without a break. So we're just doing it a few at a time. And, um, and uh, fortunately, the editors have that, of this Bible that, I'm, that we're using have, have gone ahead of us and kind of helped break it down into pieces to make it a little bit easier for us. We can also kind of catch that in the logic itself. So we, we, we want to approach it the way it's been written and presented to us. So there's a lot of advantage to that as well. So that's just a couple of reasons why we're going through one book of the Bible in this regard. Um, and uh, I, I hope that it's, it's beneficial and edifying for you. We are in uh, Matthew 5. And Jesus has just begun his Sermon on the Mount. So he's sitting down. He's got his disciples sitting around him um, and or standing around him. And then further down the hill and around them, there, there's a crowd of other people who are listening, engaging, uh, you know, trying to figure out who this person called Jesus is and get an idea for what, it's, what, he's, what he's bringing to the table here, bringing to the culture. Uh, already rumors about who he is and what he's about. And uh, this very long sermon that Matthew has, has given of us, probably not the whole thing, but most of it, uh, you know, everything that he wants us to have, that the Spirit wants us to have, we've got right here from it. And it's fascinating. Right out of the gate, Jesus is trying to define what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you want to, oh, at the very end of chapter 4, he says, you know, repent for the, um, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, what do you mean the kingdom of heaven? Well, let me tell you about people who live in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the Beatitudes are. Okay? It's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. They are poor in spirit, not self-righteous, not full of themselves, but they are poor of spirit. That's who gets the kingdom of heaven. That's who owns it. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you are not, uh, you're, you're not somebody who's full of yourself. You're empty of self. Okay? Uh, blessed are those who mourn. It's a sad thing to, to lose yourself. Um, it is, and, and when you do lose yourself, you become conscious of your own sin. You become conscious of the sin in this world. And we kind of live uh, in that reality often as Christians. So it's, we have this mournful solemnity about us. But we are comforted by the fact that God accepts us in the person of Jesus Christ and that the kingdom of God is being brought to bear on the kingdom of this world. And so um, we are comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. When you are empty of self and mournful of your sin... 
that humbles you in your relationships with other people. Meekness and humility are the defining quality and characteristics of people in the church. That's what it means to be Christian. It means to be humble. Blessed are those who then hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you're empty of yourself and your own self-righteousness, you begin to hunger for that which you cannot achieve on your own. And so um, God begins to give it to you. He fills you. And that, that righteousness manifests itself in the form of mercy, verse 7, purity in the heart, moral purity, um, verse 8, and peacemaking, peacemaking, peacemaking. Um, those are who the real sons of God are. They're the ones who make peace in this world. And if you do so, if you are merciful in the name of Jesus, if you are pure in the name of Jesus, if you are peacemaking in the name of Jesus, verse 10, you will be persecuted for it because of righteousness sake. And that is an affirmation that you are a part of the kingdom of heaven, verse 10. If you want to know that, you, you know, imagine playing football for the Dallas Cowboys, which I long dreamed I would do as a child. And, um, and you get tackled by a Pittsburgh Steeler, God forbid. But you get tackled. The fact that you got tackled validates the fact that you were a cowboy. Right? That's what verse 10 means. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness of Jesus, which we explained. Why? It validates that you're, on the, you're in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours. All right? Now, we discussed, like, why in the world would, would mercy and compassion and peacemaking and, and, and morality be persecuted? It, well, number one, because when you're around somebody that's better than you, it's just naturally there's this human tendency to loathe somebody whose standard exposes your inability to meet that standard, Right? But there's also something unique to it about Jesus. When it's done to the glory of God, when it's done because of Jesus' righteousness on our behalf, that is offensive to human nature. Because if anything, we, surely we could get there, right? No. And so the per, you're persecuted for that kind of thing. So in verse, uh, that's where he left it, in verse 10, 11, and 12, okay? Then Jesus comes to verse uh, 13 through 16, and, he, and he, ta- he wants to talk about this is kind of the, the closing segment of the Beatitudes. It's not a Beatitude. It is kind of the closing application of how to live this kingdom life that we've talked about in the Beatitudes. Okay, So let's stand together, and we're going to read uh, together uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I've got a, a, the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste... How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lamp stand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You, you can be seated. Um, I, I want to I start today by... Um, By, by acknowledging a presupposition that Jesus has in this passage. 
Um, and and it's, one, it's one that we all agree, I think, uh, I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know that's true. I know we all agree with this. But I just, I want to state it because we can forget it, especially if times are good in our culture or times are good in our life or the weather's as perfect as it is or whatever. Like, we, we can forget this. But it's a huge presupposition that Jesus is speaking uh, toward. And the presupposition is this. The world is groaning in decay. It's not an awesome place, okay? So the very fact that there is persecution in response to Jesus' righteousness, as he describes earlier in the, in the chapter, that's evidence enough of this. But the, the presupposition that Jesus is making is that the world is just groaning in decay, right? So if you go to Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness from, of man, the great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, okay? Lots of superlatives there. Genesis 19, God destroys all of Sodom and Gomorrah because of its evil immorality. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. Psalm 14, verse 3, they've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then you go to Psalm 53 and Romans 2 and Romans 3, Romans 8. Go on and on and on and on, okay? Right? So the world is groaning in decay. Not unlike my front yard, okay? Now, Holly's been very hard at work at the blackberries and the tulips and the which are gone now because tulips are temporary. But um, uh, what, what did you put in the front there instead of now that the tulips are gone? Is there anything else that's going to come there? What's going to come? Huh? Dahlias are coming, okay, in the front. Excellent. And, there, I mean, and then she's got so many bags of soil down. I mean, it's unbelievable what's happening. And the back is, is beautiful. We have tried for years in the front to, to cultivate just grass, in the front yard where two trees have been cut down. And I don't know, maybe it's because of the wood chipper and the, you know, maybe it was salting the fields like last, I don't know, we'll get to that. But it's just, it's just not working. It's just, it, it, weeds and dandelions are thriving, but the rest of it's just kind of nasty. It's just in decay, whatever, okay? That's the thing. So that's the state of the world, okay? That's Jesus's presupposition. If you don't believe that, give it some time. Okay, it's hard to be seven and not think that the world is an amazing place, especially when you live in the middle of Tennessee, God's country. Right. So but it's just a matter of time before you realize this world. Is in decay. Which is interesting when Jesus says that you are salt and you are light. Okay, look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? If It's no longer good for anything, but needs to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, watch the text, okay? The first thing I want you to do is underline the word you, because it's y'all. It's plural. Y'all are the salt of the earth. I, I know. It's, it's in all caps. I just want, I want to emphasize it. That's right. It is the CSB. Y'all are the salt of the earth. And disciples of Jesus as a collective group 
of individuals are the salt of the earth. So here's what what do you think about this? Okay, boys and girls, what restaurant has your favorite French fries? Speak up. Culver's, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, really? Culver's and Chick-fil-A. McDonald's, thank you, McDonald's. No, you're not going to be judged for your fast food favorites in this room. Right? Okay, so steak and shake. Yeah, okay, all right, I can go there. All right. Basically, it's a fried potato. I'm not going to hate it. I happen to like Wendy's. I think Wendy's are very, very, very good. And McDonald's. And Culver's. And Zaxby's. And, okay, all right, so I can stop there. Okay. All of those are good. All of them are terrible without salt. Right? There's nothing worse than getting that big hot bag of, of McDonald's French fries, and then you realize that they were in such a hurry they completely forgot to salt them. It, you, they're just they're disgusting, actually. <laughs> they may as well be three days old out of underneath the bottom of your car. Not that that's ever happened. Um, right, right. They would be equally as bad if there was only one grain of salt in your bag. Right? The value proposition of McDonald's French fries is tied to the value proposition that there's a lot of salt on it. And this is true of Christians as well. The strength of Christian influence in this world is collective, not individual. This is really important for you to understand. If you want to make a difference for the gospel as salt in this world, you do so not by building a Twitter platform, not by building a social media platform. Not, that's not the way. I know that the world is trying to, to make everybody become an influencer. But the gospel works different than that. Yes, the way that the church is salt in this world is the, by virtue of the fact that it's a church. Y'all are the salt of the earth. The other thing I want you to see is that y'all are the salt of the earth. Meaning, nobody else is the salt of the earth. We're it. You are it. Okay? Christians alone. Whatever salt means, which we'll come to, it's you. That's who you are. So I majored in, in sociology in college 30 years ago. And many sociologists will argue that religion in general is valuable to society because it serves as an agent of peace and as a moral check and all the things, okay? And generally speaking, like, I get it, that's true. But Jesus' teaching is that disciples of Jesus are the sole source of influence on the world's decay and darkness. Yes, sir. Christians are it. Islam, Judaism, Buddhism... None of them have anything to offer this decaying and dark world because they don't offer Jesus. We, y'all, are the only salt. It is plural and it is exclusive. Okay? The next thing I want you to see is that you are salt. Okay? You are salt. You, twice, are. Salt and light are what Christians are, and they are what you continue to be. You are not aspiring to be salt. 
You are not aspiring to be light. You are not progressing toward saltiness. You're not Mrs. Dash working its way up to actual Himalayan, okay? It's not what you are, all right? You are salt. You are light. The only question, as you can see in the text, is whether or not you will have taste and shine. It doesn't mean you're not salt. It doesn't mean you're not light. It just means... Do you have taste of your shine? So I'm just, this is just grammar, first two words. I told you we do four verses and I meant it, okay? But just sit on those three things, okay? So now, I want, now let's push forward. What did Jesus mean when he's using this, this as, and this is a metaphor, clearly, okay? What does, what does Jesus mean? How would his hearers have heard this? What would it have meant to them? Because you know, if you've said this before, it can't mean, you can't understand what it means for you if you didn't understand what it means for them. The Bible can never mean what it never meant, okay? So we, we need to understand the context here to make sure we're interpreting. So what about salt would have resonated with people in Jesus' time? Fortunately, this is not hard because salt's always kind of had the same purposes, right? But there's some weird things if you go back into history. Salt was used as a currency, Roman soldiers were paid with salt. Have you ever heard that phrase? He's not worth his salt. That's where it comes from. Okay. You would, they would use salt ceremoniously as a sign of friendship. So um, if you were in the ancient world and you shared salt with another person at the table over a meal, that would imply that you're under one another's protection or care, that you are friends together. Uh, they would use salt co- um, ceremoniously when they would form a covenant. So... Um, if you've used a notary public before, right? So to for to to verify your um, that you are who you are when you sign a a document and it makes that document a legal agreement. They didn't have notaries uh, back then, and so two men would eat salt together, okay, in the face of witnesses. And they said, "Yep, they agreed because I saw meat salt." Weird, but that's what they would do. All right, that made the covenant binding, okay? But for the most part, it's all the same, right? We use salt to season our food. They use salt for medicinal purposes. Um, have you ever done a saline rinse through your nose? Yeah, it's good stuff. Gargle salt water, get that, get that tickle out of there. Yeah, it's good. good. Um, they use salt to destroy property. Uh, Holly and I owned a, a home in, in, in Franklin years and years and years ago, and the, when we bought the home, there was this, they had a soft water system in the garage that had been broken and they weren't using anymore, so there's this big blue barrel. It was this big, um, and it was full of salt. And I just stupidly rolled it out the garage, and, and I got to the edge of the yard and just dumped all the salt out in, into, the, into the grass, which was fortunately weed, because whatever it was died right there and did not come back, even though we had sold the home. There was just this patch of death um, right there, because that's what salt does. So if you really wanted, back in Jesus' day and before in the Old Testament, if you wanted to really mess up somebody's fields, you would salt their fields. As a, as a source of, of judgment, right? So they used it as a weapon. Um, they did not have salt bug guns like we have now. You know those things where you line up and you see a wasp up there and you and it blows salt up? If you don't, you're going to Google that when you get home, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, just use it. Yeah, never mind. So if that's, that's what all this is. So what would, if you're in Jesus' audience, what would you hear? What, where would you go with that? You are the salt of the earth. Where would you go, right? Where, would they think that, hey, Jesus says we're the most valuable resource to every human being on the planet. 
uh, did they think that Jesus means that we're the most destructive thing in the world to the forces that could stand against us, like salting the fields, right? What would, no, they would, not, they would not think that. They would think two things, because it's the same two things that you and I would think of. They would think that salt preserves and salt stings. Salt preserves and start salt stings. No refrigerators in Jesus' day, right? So you cut a side of beef, the only way to preserve it and keep it from going bad is to salt it. Um, you'd absolutely cover it in salt. They'd literally rub the salt into the beef or the lamb because salt has a naturally preservative effect on everything that it comes into contact with. This is what Jesus is saying about you and only you is that you, even as the world persecutes you, you influence by hindering the decay that's taking place in this world. By hindering their consequences and the results of the decay in this world. You press in as a peacemaker. You press in as a merciful person. You press in with your and our moral purity and righteousness and justice, the things that we bring to bear in this world. You preserve. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. God intends that the most powerful of all restraints within sinful society to be what? What's the most powerful restraint? Prison? No. He intends that it be his own redeemed and regenerate and righteous people. That's the church. That's Blackman Baptist Church. To the degree which we conform to the teachings of the Beatitudes. You want to make a difference in this world, conform to the teachings of the Beatitudes and press in. Press in. That's what salt does. It preserves. Uh, the implications of this are disruptive to your... Um, if you grew up as a white middle-class Republican... These are going to, this is going to hurt your feelings a little bit, okay? Okay. <laughs> don't, don't encourage me, okay? Um, you are not to look anywhere else to be a restraint on society. There, there's no other institution in this world that is meant to bring about what Jesus says is salt. It's the church, it's the Christians. It's not the state. It is not the family. Okay? The state has their role. It's a good role. Paul affirms that role over and again in Romans and other places. The family has their role. We certainly want to be all for the institution of the family. But the state and the family are not the primary key influencer in this world. The Christians are. The church is. Okay? So that's important to understand. It is not the activities that we do. So we can have uh, the most amazing programs, the coolest activities, and, and wonderful events that a church could ever have. And if our lives do not reflect the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes, that is actually more harmful than helpful to the decay of this world. Because the world's in decay, and salt has a naturally preservative effect of everything that it comes into contact with. 
And Jesus is saying this, even as the world persecutes you, you are to influence it by hindering its decay with the presence of your life and your church to the degree which you are following my teachings and the Beatitudes. Okay? And he's going to get super practical in verses 21, 5, 521 all the way to 7, uh, 16, 712. None of us are going to have any toes left by the time the sermon is over. Okay? So you're familiar with the phrase where Jesus says, you know, you are in this world, but you're not of it. Okay? That's the principle that's expressed here. Salt is a preservative. It penetrates and it influences the world, but it's distinct from it. That's preservative. Okay? So that's what, that's what we do. We also sting. Oh, I don't love this word, but it's the word that everybody uses, so I'm going to use this word. I may, I may tone it down a bit, which is ironic, but just stay with me, okay? Uh, I, Martin Luther's sermon on this text is fascinating. It was a, he was a caustic individual. He was a salty guy. So, you know, changed the world and all. Now, he says salting has to bite. He doesn't mean like bite with your teeth, okay? He means it has a sharp stinging flavor, right, that bites you back when you bite it, you know, that kind of thing. And he says, although the world will criticize us as biters, we know that this is how it has to be and that Christ has commanded the salt to be sharp and caustic. If you want to preach the gospel and help people, you must be sharp and rub salt into their wounds, showing the reverse side and denouncing what is not right. The real salt is the true exposition of Scripture, which denounces the whole world and lets nothing stand but the simple faith in Christ. So there's lots to unpack there. But here's, here's let me, hopefully this illustration will help. So Abby Jane has, it's spring, there are signs of spring all over our house. Plants, dirt, water, bugs, and scabs on children. <laughs> right? They're, we just fall a lot. And they're just, so um, we've been very fascinated with boo-boos and all this kind of stuff. We've got them all over our thing. Um, and was it yesterday or two days before Luke came in and you, your, your band-aid had come off on your, on your thumb there, right? And you've got, and you said it was, what's the word you used? You remember it was stinging. You said it was really, really stinging because the the salt water and his sweat and, and, and the, and the, the sediment in the creek they were playing, all that was getting into his thing and it was, it was stinging. It was stinging. So you had an open, because you, that's right. That's right. So, so that's a really helpful matter. It's a really helpful analogy. So the, the world is in decay, right? It is wounded. It is unrighteous and dark and is against God. That's its posture. And then here comes the gospel, which stings, right? So if you ever... There's a difference between talking to someone about Jesus or bringing the gospel to bear in some way that's just... We talked about this last week. That's irresponsible and, and and unnecessarily hostile and all that kind of thing. But if you're talking about Jesus, you are you probably aren't going to make a lot of friends. Okay, often there's a lot to not like about being reminded that you need to repent from your sin and give up on your own self righteousness or give up on your own rebellion and just and trust the God who made you. That's to be empty of self costs a lot, and you're going to get a harsh reaction from people. 
It's going to sting, okay? So maybe, maybe, maybe Luther could have said it a different way by some other dead German guy whose name I can't pronounce. He said, one would think that the ambition of, the, of Christians is to be the honeypot of the world, to sweeten and sugar the bitterness of life with an all-too-easy conception of a loving God, which is to say, like, there's no righteousness and there's no judgment. He said, but of course, Jesus did not say, you are the honeypot of the world. He said, you're the salt. Salt bites. And the unadulterated message of the judgment of God and the grace of God bites. It's always been a biting thing, right? So you have these versions of gospel proclamation, which are really not gospel proclamation at all, because they're so sweet. They're so easy to consume. And they require nothing of a human being to follow Jesus. Jesus is an add-on. He's an additive. He is not someone to submit to and follow. That's not salt. That's the honeypot, right? Right. And did you notice from, in Jesus' message that the church can lose its preservativeness and its sting, its saltiness. Right? He says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet. Jesus is not talking about your salvation. He's talking about your influence. Water it down, add sand to salt, it becomes useless, but it's still there. It's just adulterated. It's just not helpful. You are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. You're also the light of the world. And you're also very patient with a long sermon. You're the light of the world, a city situated on a hill which cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father in heaven. So very quickly, you're the salt of the earth, you are, um, you are the light of the world. And if you go to verse 16, you see the light shined as good works. Okay, that's the parallel. So he uses two metaphors. You're a city set on a hill. So when I, I grew up in Cleveland, Mississippi, it's a rural community, the flat Mississippi Delta. The only hill in town was at Fireman's Park, which was constructed by <laughs> to guess the firemen in town, and it was made for kids to ride their bikes on. Like, it's just a dirt mount. It may have been left over construction. I don't know, but it was literally only one, and it was about eight feet tall. It's the only hill and for 50 miles in any direction. It's the most desolate, flat area in the, in, in the southeast. Well, it's not desolate. It's fertile. I mean, it's, incredible. it's beautiful farmland. It's just, you know, not amazing. Never mind. I've said too much. My, but I have a wonderful childhood, and um, I remember a camping experience um, with, I don't know if you, have you ever experienced just complete and total blackness? Okay, that's where I want you to go in your mind. So I, our Boy Scout, I've used them quite a bit in my illustrations. They, they took us on a camping experience when we showed up at the Presbyterian church that allowed us to meet, and Bob and, and Robert blindfolded us and stuck us in the car with all of our camping gear. And they drove for a couple of hours. And, and it was, you know, dusk when we left. And they just drove until it was just, till it was way dark. And, you know, it, it, of course, we're blindfolded. So 
it felt like we were a long way from home, but they were really just like driving in, in circles out in, the, out in the country, okay? So we set up camp in what to us conceptually was the middle of nowhere, and we had no flashlights, nothing, okay? No fires were allowed. It's the summer. And that was an incredible exercise of teamwork and patience. Um, but if you, were, if you were keen enough to look out, you would look at the star, and you could see in one section of the sky, you know, red light coming up way off in the distance. And it was my hometown. It was Cleveland. That's flat. You know it's there. But if you just by virtue of the fact that there's red coming out, you say, oh, there's a population center over there. Okay. Um, this, that's the idea that Jesus is, is giving. He's, he's using Jerusalem, which is set up on a hill and is literally lit up like a Christmas tree, especially from the temple, which we'll get into. Well, that's in, more in the Gospel of John, but we may get there. Jesus is saying that's what your good works are when you do them in the name of Jesus. They are, as they, they are visible. They are clear. They are a draw for people who are in total darkness, pitch black, total darkness. And when you shine that light, it relieves the darkness. And then he uses the house lamp illustration. So in a residential area in Jesus' time, of course, there's no electricity. They would use oil-burning lamps at night. They'd prop it up in the middle of their house, maybe even up in the ceiling or hanging on a lampstand or something like that. And uh, it would burn through the night so that everybody that was living, otherwise it would be pitch black darkness. There's no other, op- there's no other source. Like, this is what you get. Um, and, uh, and so they, they would um, light it up. And, and that way, if you were, had to go to the restroom or whatever you got to do at night, which when you're 50, that happens a lot, two in the morning. You know, you got to get up and go to the restroom. You, you had that light there burning right, right there. And, um, and the alternative is pitch black darkness. Now, no, in that scenario, because the alternative is pitch black darkness, nobody would even think about putting that under a basket. Nobody would ever even conceive of what it would be like to lose uh, that, that light. Um, and that's the perception that Jesus wants us to have about our good works. And the temptation is to hide under a basket. The temptation is not to go sit up on that hill and shine that light. Why? Because the verse, verses prior, persecution. Because you're not liked. You're not admired. You're not thought well of by everyone. You may live at peace with them, but man. Our tendency to not show our light, to not be salt, reveals that we are more concerned about our own reputation than we are about verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine so that they may what? See your good works, but do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. It's really, really easy. I mean, there's, I mean there are challenges, right? Like I, 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 not everybody's made to live a life on a platform. I am not made to live a life on a platform. I do not like, it just makes me uncomfortable. But, but there's some level of attraction that you could shine, quote unquote, shine your light and be made much of. But to shine your light and be hated for it by a good number of people so that God can get glory, that's what you're signing up for as a Christian. 
That's it. You find your identity in Him, empty of self, humble, meek, merciful, compassionate. People see it and hate you for it or give God glory for it. You get Jesus. That's what you get. And He is better than the glory for men. And he gets the glory from you and the men. But why? Because he is the one who did all the things that we can't do. He's the one who paid the price on our behalf that we could not pay. He's the one that conquered death with his resurrection. He's the one that ascended to the throne and reigns this world. He is the one we're actually worthy. And it's to that end that we're to be salt and light, bringing the gospel to bear as salt and light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of this congregation as we deal with this text. It's a difficult text. It's a challenging text. One whose familiarity almost keeps us from grasping the severity of it and the seriousness of it. But we are to be salt and light. To sign up to follow you is to be empty of self, full of you, shine the light of our good works through our lives and as a church to this world, to press in to the decay There's a great possibility we'll be hated for it. There's a, tr- there's a tremendous reality that you could get glory and people would come to know you through us. So keep us faithful to the task. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.